This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today's yarn is with Elliot Shannon. Elliot runs a 1,700-hectare mixed farm at Bugledye, northwest of Coonabarabran, and he does it with the help of his wife, Kate, his father, Rob, and his four kids. Together they run beef cows as well as trade cattle and winter cropping. In this episode, Elliot talks to us about how early weaning helped him manage through the drought by giving him the ability to look after his land and his stock while staying productive. You'll also hear how important it is to plan, make informed decisions and get the balance between family and farming right. Local Land Services Agricultural Specialist Callan Thompson had this yarn. Thanks, Elliot, for catching up with us today and um, being involved in this podcast. Elliot, would you like to just give us a bit of a rundown on Tiona and the operation that you run here? Yeah, a farm here near Bugledye with my wife, Kate, and our four kids, and my father, Rob, is involved in the operation still. He's sort of, I don't think anyone retires from farming, but yeah, so he, he still gives me a fair bit of help. We're a mixed farm operation. We're beef cattle, uh, some breeders, and predominantly trade cattle, and also winter cropping operation. We run over about 4,200 acres, mixture of owned country and leased. 10 k's west of Bugledye? Yeah, it's about 10k's west of Bugledye, yeah, in the top end of the Gurunawar Valley. Picturesque little place. I used to always say to my mother, it's a shame views can't pay bills, but it is a nice spot. We're generally a fairly safe area. We've been reasonably blessed with rain, even right throughout the drought. Like it's been, you know, we've a fair bit of deficits in rainfall, but we still have got rain and, you know, on the cropping side of things, you know, I'm, I'm yet to miss a crop in the 20 odd years I've been farming. You know, there've been some pretty ordinary crops, but um, we still have crops. And and even last year, we had crops that were good enough to graze at least to keep that livestock enterprise ticking over and ticking over quite well. Being able to make use of that moisture and being prepared for it and having good fallows and things like that was probably pretty beneficial those last couple of years. Oh, absolute key to it. Rainfall is a very important part of farming. Like it's one part that I can't control, but there's a heck of a lot of other stuff that I can control through the fallow management, sowing on time, um, sowing the right varieties for the soils, the conditions that we've got. So, you know, I'd like to see it rain regularly and, and all the time. It's just a small part, also been a major part. You know, without rain, you, you, you are really in strife, but... There's a lot I can do on, within my business to capitalise when it does rain. And, it, and if I've dropped the ball on uh, some of those elements, which, which sometimes I do, you know, your, your fallow's a bit late or you've missed a fallow spray or got too dry, couldn't get over it quick enough, it does bite you in the bum a bit later down the track. Do you reckon you could sort of explain the steps you went through um, when you made that decision to start containment feeding and build that? That set up? Yeah, predominantly for early weaning was, uh, I suppose, the catalyst. We have been early weaning on and off for quite a few years since the millennium drought. And we'd wean in our cattle yards and, you know, smaller, well, which I thought was small enough, paddocks around the yards and, and the house. 
we're probably undoing a little bit of what we're trying to achieve with the the room that they did have, even though they you know, might have only been three or five hectares. They could still wander around a fair bit, and and it also just on the management of it, like you'd would want to use the yards, and we'd have calves in the in the way, and you'd have to try to move them somewhere to bring them in, and then oh, we'll do that later, we'll bring those cattle in later. So yeah, the timeliness of those operations got affected due to the lack of convenience of being able to bring the stock in when you when you wanted. I like things convenient. If I, if <laughs> if it's not convenient, it's too easy for me to to put it off. And then all of a sudden it's two weeks and you think, oh, truth, I haven't, you know, we haven't vaccinated those cattle. We, we must get that done. And also building those yards, I thought, well, instead of just building them for early weaning, let's make them big enough that if we want to feed lots of cattle, we, we can. So they become multi-purpose. So I wanted to build them close enough to my yard so you didn't have to move them too far away. So we sort of found a spot that fitted that, that was convenient to operate in the yards, not in the way, not uh, breaking up a paddock too much. Yeah, so we can wean and we can use them. We use them as holding pens now too. If, um, if we're uh, trucking cattle out because they've all got water in, in, in the pens, there's not just one use for it. And so and that's where we've, why they'll design the way we did. And what was your reason behind early weaning through the drought, Elliot? Animal production, basically, animal production and, and land management, looking after our cows. Wanted to make sure the cows got back in, into, into calf and a plan B if it kept going pear shape, that they're in good enough condition that I can get reasonable money for them to get out of. Same with the calves, be able to lock them up, get good growth out of them and, and really thinking forward to the, you know, the six to ten months after weaning of what sort of condition those stock were in or going to be in because I always believed it was going to rain at some stage and having them in a, a good enough condition that when it did rain that we can capitalise on that feed growth. You know, the, the calves aren't coming back from a dry, woody sort of animal. They're, they're hitting their straps and, and raring to go. And did you find there's opportunities to start buying and, and trading Using those yards? Yeah, and I did. I used that opportunity. Obviously, the numbers had to work. You know, work out the cost of your feed and a bit of labour and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I did buy calves. And if I'm going to feed some, I might as well feed a few. And it, it just allows you to keep animal production ticking over, keep numbers up. Because you know, calves were, oh, I'll say cheap enough. They weren't as cheap as I would have liked them, but they were sort of, yeah, they were reasonably cheap. Yeah, you could feed them, keep your numbers up, and you're not degrading your land. So if you had to pick one thing that you'd learnt, do you know what it would be? It's probably making the decision and making it happen. Where do I want to be and I work back? I wanted to have animals that are in good enough nick that when it did rain or, or we, we had good pasture that we could capitalise on that performance. Being prepared, making the decision, being prepared that you've got enough ration and the right ration ahead of time and once you start you're committed and be prepared to be committed because it, you don't want to do the work for a, a month to two months then think oh I've had enough of this because you'll undo all the all the good work that you did. One thing that we've been talking to producers about was really understanding not just feeding those little guys maintenance, feeding them for production so that they're always moving forward to really make that system sort of pay if you're going to do it at all. It doesn't take much more to feed for performance than survival or, or maintenance. You know, you're 60% of your cost, and I'm, I'm not exact sure of the figure, but, I, you know, 60% of the cost of the feed is to keep them alive. 
and you're tipping another 40% and you're doing performance. So if you can't afford to do the whole mob at performance, sell some, as opposed to doing all of them at maintenance, feed less for better. And, and you, you come back to that plan B, you've got that plan B that you, you value added them instead of them, you know, I think at the time they, I don't know, rough figures they were worth 300 bucks a head for a calf. Like if I sold it, I probably got $300 a head. Now if I only just fed them for survival in two to three months' time, they're probably still only worth $400 a head. And it probably cost me 500 to get there. But by feeding a performance, and in that same time frame, they cost me $500 to feed them for performance, and they're worth $600. You know, and, and that's in rough figures. Like, you know, it is extra money, but it's not much more. Like you're not doubling your cost for performance, and you've, you've got something out at the other end that you've got that plan B. Yep. So if there's one thing that you're going to do differently, what would that be? I don't know if there'd be much more I'd, I'd do differently. Probably maybe buy as the season's gone harder and brought more <laughs> calves. <laughs> but um, there's about 20 calves that I let go back out with their mum and thought I'll bring them in a month's time or so. And they're still the run of the mob. Like they were only little fellas. Overall, as the, as the system, you know, this would be our second year in the feed pens. There's probably not a lot more I'll, I'll do differently. We, we need a bit of shade in those areas, but that, that's some of that tweaking. But, the you know, even with a good season, early wean as well, and it's, it's just that performance of the cow. And it just it frees up feed management of the cow. Like you can sort of push them up. They don't need as good as feed and ensure they're back in calf. Yeah, it's money for jam. Trying to you know increase another ten percent for a bit of effort, another ten to twenty percent pregnancy rate. And you did have some really good conception rates this year. Yeah, we, we exceptional conception rates. You go into this early weaning and you you look at oh, like the effort and the the cost and the, it's not a lot of time, but it it, it, it is an effort. Like you, it is a commitment, and you know is it going to pay off? But this year, like overall, we're around ninety eight percent in calf with second calf heifers. They're 100% in. There's the older cows, like the, you know, the probably 10-year-old cows that they pulled us back a bit, but they're still, you know, still over 95%. So across the board, over 200 head of cows or 250 head of cows, because I end up selling 50 of them, but 250 head of cows was, yeah, 98%. You'd have to be happy with those second-calf heifers. That's oh, unheard it, of. Yeah, exceptional. Yeah, as I said to the vet, I said, ah. Oh, Mate, you sure you don't have a fetus imprinted on that eyepiece? Because <laughs> going into the you know, preg testing, I thought anything over eighty percent was going to be reasonable. But um, the other thing, key or the other benefit was that I had good condition cattle to sell. So, like, just a, I guess a, a personal question: What brought you back to the farm, or did you ever leave? Ever since I was a, a kid, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I've been fortunate that. I've always known what I wanted to do. I, I love farming. I'm passionate for agriculture. Be, I call it farm, but agriculture. Um, always wanted to be in ag. Don't know anything else. And so I'm living my dream. This is all, what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. And something you and I have spoken to about is how you sort of get that work-life balance with farming. And I, that comes back to sort of your goals and, and what you strive for. Yeah, work-life balance. I think that um, depends who you ask in the family if I've got that right or not. <laughs> but yeah, it does. And and I'm not a 
big one for formalised goal setting. I just I just don't seem to be wired that way. You know, I suppose I have a direction that I'm trying to go. Um, it's all in my head. That's probably not great. Like it's a bit hard for the rest of the family to, unless I verbalise it, to work that where we're going, what we're doing. I keep it simple. We've got four young kids, my wife and I, is to bring them up. Is, and that's probably my goal, is trying to balance that work and time with them, which which is extremely difficult because I love farming. I, I'm happy doing this seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Sometimes the timeless of operations get skew-whiffed a bit because farming shouldn't get in the way of family. You know, family should be getting in the way of farming. So it's, it's that balance of running your operations so it, it works but also being able to do a bit with the family. And so we've we've had a... Pretty significant change in the season. I have to say it looks a lot better now than it did this time last year. It doesn't really rain money. What have you done differently this year due to the drought, do you think? Well, I often think it's harder to make money or keep on top of things when things are good. Like during the drought, you, you're really monitoring everything. It can be easy to think, oh, you know, those stock are okay because there's plenty of feed, there's plenty of water. Back to your question of what have I done differently with a bit of pasture that's died out and paddocks that need a little bit of regenerating in the pasture phase, we've swung a bit more to cropping. We maintained our life, reasonable numbers of livestock numbers throughout the drought and this year around that March period when the market was hot, I thought, well, I'm going to have some of that money. I'll, you know, it'll pay for the effort that we, we put into the stock. And so our numbers are, are back probably more than they were during the drought. Yeah, we're a little bit heavier on the cropping. Hopefully that'll pay off. That's created a fair strain on cash flow and is just, just trying to balance that. So, Elliot, what do you think the opportunities are in our going forward? Yeah, well, I think it's an extremely exciting time in agriculture at the moment. The optimism, I think it's probably more than the seasonal break. Like, that certainly does help, but we feel like we're on the cusp of something pretty good like commodity prices are exceptional you know we all would like more money but you know, you're talking cattle prices you know high three bucks a kilo into the four dollars grain prices whilst they won't stay where they are but they're, they're still they're still quite attractive certainly if we can crack some yield and it's just a great industry to be in and just you know right through all through the drought as I, I took the approach that it's my choice to be in farming it's not my right it's my choice and if I choose to do something differently, I, I can. It's my responsibility to look after my livestock. It's my responsibility to look after my land to the, to the best of my ability. I hope we haven't lost too many of the younger generations seeing the struggles with the drought. And there's no two ways about it. The drought's difficult. There's no fun in it. Like it, it. It's just tough. But there's always opportunities. Just got to look for it and try to, try to see the silver lining. I've come out of this with a mob of very young breeders. In the good seasons, you keep that old girl for another year. Oh, she'll she'll be right. It's easier to lose money when it's good than when it's when it's tough. You just coast. Thanks, Elliot, for your time today. It's been really good to get an understanding of your business and the reasons that you make decisions on your farm. Thanks, Elliot. No, thanks, Callum. It was good to catch up with you. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, 
as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources. We've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Nerily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.